So as you, can you hear me okay? As you have seen, we've been working today with uh, uh, the second factor of awakening, the factor of investigation. And we worked with it experientially, uh, with the inquiry practice. And now I'd like to talk a little about investigation and uh, how it's understood in the Dharma and in practice, both in sitting practice and in daily life practice. And the, and the order that we'll be uh, offering the teachings on the factors come from the template that we've laid out. The three arising factors or stimulating or, uh, factors, the three tranquilizing factors, the overarching factor being mindfulness. So we started with mindfulness, and then we go to the to the uh, ar- the um, factors that begin to arise, bring energy, life, um, and that starts with the factor of investigation. And it's seen. This may not be uh, your experience, but it's often seen that one factor leads to the next factor that there's a certain uh, inherent logic to how they unfold or how they're taught in this way. And so investigation is called Dharmavakaya, Dharmavakaya in Pali. And uh, really probably more accurately Dhamma, Dhammavakaya. And uh, it's about the investigation of the truth the investigation of reality, the investigation of the Dharma. And sometimes it's talked about as the investigation of truth, sometimes the discrimination of dharmas. And my favorite uh, phrase is truth discerning wisdom. Truth discerning wisdom is is another way to translate Dharmavakaya. Um, Joseph Goldstein says, basically, it's knowing what's what, right? Very simple, clear, direct, knowing what's what. And it's a kind of active or proactive quality of the heart and mind that we begin to wake up from our um, ignorance or from our delusion or for our misunderstanding. And in the Anapanasati Sutta, which is the the 16 steps on mindfulness of breathing, it said that abiding mindful, one investigates and examines different states with wisdom and embarks upon a full inquiry into them. One examines different states of consciousness that arise as meditation deepens and we become more here and we start to see more and more about what's here, or what, what it's made of, or what is it. And the word that um, I often use and think of as part of the practice of investigation is curiosity. It's being curious about life, or being curious about this moment, or being curious about the truth, or being curious about what this is, whatever the what this is, is. Okay, I think that was close to being clear what I just said. Um, And the mind, as we practice, the heart and mind develops a certain kind of curiosity um, it said, this is from Sayada Utejaniya, he said, as your practice develops, the heart and mind will develop a sense of curiosity, a nat- natural tendency to investigate. And, and Utejaniya, who's a, a, a Theravadan teacher from Myanmar, Myanmar, which used to be called Burma, um, he, said, he said, curiosity is an expression of wisdom. And I, I like that a lot. I appreciate that flavor of practice, of being curious about what's what, or what's true, or what's real. 
And in the, in the teachings, in the Pali Canon, there's a story about a king who um, uh, becomes a friend, maybe a disciple of the Buddha, or he's learning about the Buddha and he's talking to the Buddha. He has a relationship with the Buddha and he's learning about the seven factors of awakening. And so he asks the Buddha about them because that's a good person to ask about the seven factors. And he says, um, he says to him, well, what of all these factors, um, uh, how many of the, by how many of these factors does awakening happen? How many of these factors does awakening happen? And the Buddha answers, he says, just one, investigating the Dharma. Investigating the Dharma. So this is a very important factor of awakening. And I always, I do this because I always think of them as, as totally close to one another. Mindfulness and investigation, and as, as I'm displaying, they go hand in hand. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that before, but I like that metaphor, hand in hand, because they're right next to each other. We start to see things, and we start to be curious about what's the truth, or how does things happen, or what are the conditions that bring about suffering or freedom? That's a very basic Buddhist question that is taught in all the traditions. What are the conditions? for what happens. And uh, truth discerning wisdom is part of what liberates the heart and mind. And uh, Krishnamurti said, it's the truth that liberates, not your efforts to be free. It's the truth that liberates, not our efforts to be free. It's a really beautiful understanding. It's when we start to see what's what, or what's true. And I'll be quoting uh, a number of times tonight from Sayadaw Utejaniya. How many people here have ever practiced with Sayadaw? Okay, a number of people, good. Um, because uh, he's, he's, I really like him very much. Uh, I, and I like his background because he was a householder for many, many years. And he practiced so diligently as a householder that his teachers asked him to teach. His teachers being monastic teachers. And uh, he has a lot of wisdom because he's, in my opinion, not only because he's practiced deeply, but he's lived the whole life, you know, with family and business. And, you know, he's done the, the usual, but he did it all his practice. And he was very diligent about practicing in his life. And he said, wisdom never believes. Wisdom never believes. Wisdom always investigates. And again, I appreciate that because that's my sense of what brings life to practice and interest to practice. And for me, uh, excitement to practice. It's like a question, which is really a basic question in the Zen tradition. What is this? What is this? Whatever it is, what is it? Really, what is it beyond our ideas, beyond our beliefs, beyond what we've been told it is, or even beyond what it might be scientifically, which is the, which is the premium mythology of our time, is the mythology of science, which is a great mythology, but it's also never the whole answer. There's more to reality than just the science of it. And so the curiosity, the questions, which Sayadaw Utejaniya uses a lot in his teaching, um, uh, comes because we really love the Dharma. We love the truth. And so it's a heartfelt movement 
the movement of investigation. It's because of what we really care about, or what I believe we care about. And it, you may not call it dharma every time, or you might not call it truth, but think of what you love and care about most. You know, whatever that might be. It might be your children, or your spouse, or your community, or your grandparents, or your work, or history, or whatever it is, the love for it draws you and you want to know more about it, or how to do it well, or how to help one's family or spouse or grandparents so that they're well as much as possible. And so those questions come from the heart. We're drawn by the heart, by what we care about. And so investigation, as I'm speaking about it, and like to um, and experience it personally, is a heartfelt quality. Or, as I said before, it's a quality of citta, of heart and mind. And so, I, you know, it, either, either way you could call it mind, but there's some care, there's some love, there's some... Um, Again, for lack of a better word, heartfulness about what's important to us, whatever it might be, whether it's the Dharma or awakening or freedom or kindness or the sure heart's release, another metaphor for awakening in Buddhism, or taking care of the earth, or taking care of people who are suffering. Those are all heartfelt movements that bring questions. And the question is, how, how can I help? Or how does it happen? How do we save the earth at this point? That's a big question for all of us. You know, how do we, how do we deal with the climate catastrophe that seems to be happening? Or how do we deal with the... Um, prejudice, bias, racism that is, seems inherent in human beings, but isn't inherent in human beings. It's part of something that's learned and then systematized. And so all those questions are, I think, beautiful questions from the heart. And part of the practice of being, uh, of investigating what's true or what's needed, or what's skillful. This is from my teacher's teacher's teacher, Ajahn Mun, Tibetan, excuse me, um, Thai, a Thai teacher, Ajahn Mun. He said, in your investigation, in your investigation of the world, so he starts off right, right there, he's teaching about investigation. In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Never allow the heart and mind to desert the body. Examine its nature. He's talking about the body now. See the elements that comprise it. See their impermanence, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. He's talking about mindfulness of the body here. In this way, the purity of heart and mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. In one's investigation of the world, never allow the heart and mind to desert the body. Can we land here? Even now, as you're listening to me, put your body in the foreground. Put the somatic, kinesthetic, energetic experience a little bit in the foreground. And I pretty much think you'll hear me and understand me and know what you think, but you keep the body in the foreground as part of the investigation of the living reality that's sitting in each seat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
So I appreciate uh, Uteshaniya because he works with investigation ongoing in meditation practice, both on the cushion and off the cushion meditation practice with a kind of curiosity about what's present here, body, heart, mind, beyond body, heart, and mind, what's here? What is this? He says, when the mind and heart become quiet, it does not mean that there is nothing to do. It's a really good teaching. When the mind and and heart become quiet, it does not mean there is nothing to do. The heart and mind has just become ready. You have to start investigating at that time. And so he's pointing to the samadhi that we started talking about this morning with the walking meditation. The samadhi, the quieting of the heart and mind, the calming of the usual sense of I, me, and mine, and our thoughts, and our feelings, and everything that is part of being human, but that can start to come into unity with being present in the moment, and the simplicity of the moment of just being with the body and the breath, which is so simple it's difficult. Anybody notice that? I mean, really, it's, I mean, it's humorous, but it's not, it's like so, I find it fascinating. It's so simple what we're asked to do here. Just sit down, be mindful of your body, and pay attention to your breath. Like, not a big deal. You know, for one breath, maybe. But just to stay with that simple, something it, for me, it does something like this. This is one. One is my body. One is my consciousness. They go like this, and they get and they start to get closer, and then they get further apart, and then they go, and then finally, at some point, they go, and it's quiet. It's like oh, everything is here, and that's very. Pleasurable. I, I like that. I'm fine to say that I like that and enjoy that and it's great. But he's saying something more. He's saying that's not the end. And that's a very important thing to know about practice. It isn't the end. And I've done enough practice, so I've had long periods of this unification of body, heart, and mind and quiet. And then you see, oh, there's a level of dukkha there too even with that. And so you want to keep seeing, where's complete freedom? Where's total freedom? Although I'm always happy when this happens. I want to make clear about that. I'm, I'm not really complaining about it, but it's not the end. He says, you have to start investigating when it becomes quiet. And that gets very interesting because mostly at least for myself, my tendency is, oh, I'm just trying to get away from dukkha. But if there's not much dukkha, then what's there? And of course, investigation is, can happen at any time in your practice. Um, for example, um, the comparing mind. Anybody notice the comparing mind? Right? Yeah, okay. At least one or two people raise their hand. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, it's really something. All we're doing is saying, oh, yes, yeah, sit down, relax, be with your body and breath. You don't have to do anything else. And then the comparing with what happened in the first sitting or the sitting yesterday or the sitting five years ago which that was the really good sitting. You remember that one, you know? Or, 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 how, or, or the sitting that hasn't happened yet that is going to be the really good sitting. Or not just comparing internally, but externally. Oh yeah, look at that person. He knows how to sit. He hasn't moved for at least a minute and a half. And so he's really the, doing it right. And so you can begin to investigate heart and mind just by being here, because you're not even doing it. 
and it does itself. I hope I hope you see that sometimes. Even the comparing mind, and I'm I can do plenty of comparing mind. Believe me, but I'm not doing it. It does itself. That's the thing that's most amazing to me. I used to when I used to uh, uh, sit and and teach, uh, and I'd sit a lot of long retreats. Um, I used to have a lot of judgment about other people's socks. You know, <laughs> no, this is true. <laughs> you know, or it'd be like, wow, they're wearing those socks again. You know, because I'd keep my eyes down. I'm not looking at anybody, but I still see their socks. And, you know, and it's like, and it was just like ridiculous, which of course it is. It's ridiculous. But, you know, I'm just, um, I'm just outing my mind, which is ridiculous often. Really, honestly, it's true. It's one of the great things I've learned from the practice of Buddhism is not to believe my mind. I mean, I have friends here who, they already don't believe my mind, but it <laughs> took me a longer time for me not to believe my mind. Uh, but also, in terms of the investigation, sometimes even watching the comparison, um, like, the investigation will happen on its own you could start to see, like I had this happen one time where I was comparing and feeling bad and, and it was all of a sudden, ch -ch 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 -ch. it was like I saw the whole causes and conditions of the, of the comparison. It just came. It wasn't even, I wasn't trying to think my way there, but it just came because the investigative quality of heart and mind was uh, alive. And then I saw the, and you know, and I grew up in a family with uh, uh, all boys and we played a lot, a lot of sports and we were always competitive and I was the youngest one. So yeah, I had to be quite um, creative to win with my older brothers. And you know, I got creative, but still it was like they definitely had a little advantage. And so I could all of a sudden see ch -ch 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 -ch, all the causes of and conditions that made me sensitive to being competitive. And then, and that helps. And the understanding, which I talked about earlier today, helps it let go. So I'm not bound to that habit of my personality, of my history, of causes and conditions. <clears throat> And again, I'm going to say it again. I had it in, in this talk originally from the Buddha, from the Itavataka Sutta. He said, the committed life is lived for the sake of seeing into things and understanding them. And of course, Saito Utejaniya said it in his own way. He said, investigation is observing what is happening in order to understand the whole picture. We investigate what's happening to understand the whole picture, to see what the truth is so that we can respond creatively and intelligently and kindly and wisely to what's happening. Because it's, at least for me, it's always different. When I only see a little piece, I have a certain kind of response. But when I see the whole picture, it's such, it's, there's so much more wisdom can come forward to respond of what I know, where I've been, what I've seen, what I understand, and the kindness that comes, even from seeing, even when I don't like what the big picture is, but I can see the suffering that causes the things that I don't like, meaning politically or, you know, economically or things like that because they all come from suffering. Not necessarily my suffering, other people's suffering, and they cause more suffering. And seeing that brings a lot of kindness, which does not negate the capacity to respond directly, clearly, fiercely at times, strongly, um, to help uh, alleviate suffering.
So on investigation in your sitting practice is very simple. What's happening now? That's an investigative question. And it's not a question you have to ask cognitively. It's a question you live as part of being present moment by moment by moment. You know, when I'm sitting, I'm just, I'm just trying to be with what's here, whatever it is. And if I, if I want to support the samadhi and the unification, I'll work with the body and the breathing. And even then, all kinds of other things happen. But I'm, I'm not just trying to have reactions to them. I'm trying to understand what's skillful now, what's needed now. How can I work with the body and the breathing now, given that I'm upset about something or I'm angry about something or, I'm, or there's a lot of noise in the room or I think the person in front of me shouldn't move ever and they're moving now and you know I'm having some reaction to something. This is from another teacher of mine, Hamid Ali. He said, um, practice is about simply being aware and curious. You love to know and feel reality fully and clearly. You're happy to know reality as deeply and precisely as possible. Somebody talked earlier about how it went deeper, the inquiry, and that's part of what Hamid's pointing at here. That that if you know if we stay with um, and to be aware and feel reality fully clearly we're happy to know reality as deeply and precisely as possible if experience is not clear you are simply curious about it openness to experience becomes dynamic challenging experience to reveal its truth and so here's an important component of investigation. We're not trying to just make something happen. We're open to seeing things as they are. We're open to understanding what's going on, what might be the causes and conditions, not having to think our way there, but simply by being open to it. <clears throat> He goes on, he says, once in a while this curiosity might formulate itself into a specific question. Um, you'd recognize that you don't understand something and out of love you wish to understand it. Questions come on their own when necessary. Ongoing practice is more an awareness of one's experience, a recognition, and when you are, of when, a recognition of when you are transparent and when you are opaque, when you are transparent and when you are opaque, your interest is in understanding and clarity will bring itself guidance which will reveal the truth of the experience. It's a beautiful understanding and a beautiful trust that Hamid has in practice and in being devoted to seeing what's true. And I've known Hamid many, many years, and he's totally devoted to that. Totally devoted. And it brings up part of the way I practice, not all the time, but sometimes, that I really enjoy, and one can practice this way both on the cushion and off the cushion, is I ask myself one simple question. Am I relaxed? Or am I not relaxed? Which is my interpretation of Hamid saying, are we uh, uh, something about being opaque, you know, he was saying. When, when one is transparent and one, when, when one is opaque. For me, it's simple, even simpler. It's like, am I relaxed or am I not relaxed? in any moment. And it doesn't mean I have to like what's happening in the moment to relax. I can even relax with my not liking things. 
And I, I mean that sincerely. It's possible to, and it's not relaxed like, oh, I'm just kind of hanging loose on the couch. It means I can let my consciousness relax with my anger or with my um, unhappiness so that there's space for everything to be here fully. And so I, and I often, especially in daily life, I, that's a question that works for me so well. Because mostly, you know, whatever the problems are in the moment, actually everything is fine. Even when I don't like what's happening, everything is fine. And it's a paradox that we've been talking about a bit, about when things are difficult and yet things are fine and the paradox of the Dharma in that way. And so I'll, I'll say, am I relaxed? Am I not relaxed? And if I'm not, I'll st- uh, the investigative question is, why not? Even if I don't like what's happening, even if I'm mad about what's happening, why, why can't I relax around being mad and fully be mad? rather than in just believing the madness. And I'm making a, a, a fine, maybe it's not so fine, a distinction between believing certain states of heart and mind and being aware of them and relaxed around them. Not trying to get rid of them, but not just, not just being cathected to them. I can't remember if I've used that word here, but I use that word a lot. It's a psychological word. It means not just attached. The attachment is an energetic attachment. It's not just like, oh yeah, I'm attached to it. It's an idea that I'm attached. No, it's like vump, vump. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's some, almost somatic. It's the cathected attachment. And when I'm cathected to something, I'm, I'm, I become it. And it's different to be aware of my anger than be my anger. Those are two different experiences. Uh, this is again from Utejaniya. He says, whatever you experience, doubt, uneasiness, dissatisfaction, tension, frustration, or elation, look at them, examine them, ask yourself questions such as, what kind of thoughts are in my mind? What is my attitude? This will help you understand how the difficulties affect you. One needs practice, interest, and a sense of curiosity to do this. So not just believing experience, but being curious about the experience itself. Being interested in it and examining it, investigating it. And it's the same really with any emotion. He says it this way about emotions. He says, if there is anger and you decide to investigate this emotion, you are setting the heart and mind in the right direction. If, however, you decide to try to get rid of this anger, you are directing the heart and mind in the wrong way. It's not just, oh, get rid of it. Investigate it. What is it? Where does it come from? How does it come Why do we believe it? What may be true about it, right? There may be some outer stimulus that is stimulating it.
So with emotions, which a lot of us deal with or have difficulty with or get caught up in, uh, it's very interesting to investigate the emotional world. And that happens just sitting here when on one level, nothing is happening here, right? Everybody get that? We're just sitting in the nice room and, you know, really hanging out on a certain level and nothing is happening. And all kinds of emotions come and go all over the room. I mean, really, we sometimes we have a secret screen. We can see all the emotions and it's like wild. Ah, look at what she's feeling or he's feeling or wow, he's trying to get rid of that or she wants more of that. And, right? <laughs> Make a nice movie. <laughs> it's an emotion movie. But it's really looking at what is happening, what's here, an emotion, you know, and how are we relating to it? And are we identifying with it or not? It's a great question you could ask yourself, is it my emotion or is it somebody else's? We, we, ha we tend to, at this time and juncture in history and, our, and in the West, we tend to think the emotions are all, when we have an emotion, it's my emotion. But uh, and, and at least in, um, in India, I know somebody went, went to a teacher and said something about the emotion. He said, oh, that's not your emotion. Why do you think it's yours? I, I'm not a master of that part. I have my emotions, but it's so interesting that maybe they're not. Maybe, where do they come from? The emotional bank, right? Or the super emotion market? Very fascinating part of being human being. We have a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. And it's, you know, partly it's beautiful and partly it's painful. But they all happen on their own. You ever notice that? can't create an emotion? I, I can't. The hardest thing, here's the thing, here, you can try for yourself. The next sitting, when you sit down, just be aware of how happy you are the whole time. And just be happy the whole time. Right? You know, it's like good luck. That's not how emotions work. They're doing themselves. But we tend to think we're doing them, or it's mine, or we own them. And you know, we have a relationship with them, but we may not own them in the way we think we own them. Here, I'll give you a personal example. Uh, and this is recent, and I'm a little shy to say this, but I will. I said it to my colleagues today because we do a little check-in, you know? And uh, uh, I, I uh, sometimes, not, not always or anything, but sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night with fear. And it's like, it's just fear. And sometimes it'll have content, and sometimes it doesn't have content. And it had some content last night, but it was fear. And it was like, I couldn't get back to sleep. And my mind just started going around this fear. And I'm like, and I'm even thinking, this is ridiculous. Because I knew it wasn't true, but it was just something had gotten stimulated and there was fear. And so I just hung out with the fear for a while. And I didn't want to hang out with the fear, but the fear didn't care what I wanted, right? It just was there. And so, and I did a few practices. I did some loving kindness practice, which I've used over the years many times and is very helpful. It wasn't so helpful last night. And then I just did some breath practice. And at some point, breathe, I just breathed with the fear. And that was really comforting to the fear. And then at some point, the fear went away. And I was happy about that. And I went back to sleep finally because I was up for at least two hours 
And, uh, um, but what was the most helpful part was I didn't take it personally, even though it felt very personal. Right? It definitely, I was upset. It was hard. It was real fear. But somewhere I knew this wasn't actually true. It was just fear. And it was just my mind doing its fear thing, which my mind can do sometimes. And so the kindness of being willing to investigate the actuality of our experience. What is this? Oh, this is fear. Is it true? That's an investigative question. I knew that much I knew. I knew it wasn't true. I knew it intellectually. I didn't know it. Um, 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 I was still connected to the fear. Right? I didn't know it energetically. It took quite a while for the energetic cathexis to relax. And so part of the Dharma practice of investigation is what is this? What does it feel like? What's my body like when something's happening? What's my heart like when something is happening? What's my mind like when something is happening? And this is good or bad, either way. Remember, it's not just, we're not just trying to get rid of dukkha, because we want to be aware of everything. We want to be aware of dukkha and sukha and see what happens without trying to make anything happen. Again, from Sayadaw Utejani, he said, if there is a sense of wanting some result in your investigation other than wanting to understand, such as wanting a particular result, then the heart and mind is manipulating the situation. Whenever you get this impression, you need to check your attitude to see whether the heart and mind is actually trying to do this. Investigation just wants to know in an open way wants to know what exactly is going on. It does not want to manipulate things. And it's really the alignment, what he's, in my understanding, what he's pointing at here is we begin to align with awareness itself, right? The awareness is just aware of what's here. It's not trying to make something happen. It's not trying to change it. It's not trying to fix it, right? It's aware of the anger. It's aware of the happiness. It's aware of the sadness. It's aware of the fear. It's aware of the courage. It's aware of when there's no emotion. It's aware when the mind is running around, you know, what's called monkey mind. It's aware of when the mind is quiet. It's aware. It's just, its whole job is just to be aware. And so what I, how I understand Sayadaw Lutejaniya is we're starting to align with awareness itself and to rest or relax or open to that component of our consciousness that just knows what's here. Here's another perspective on investigation from Jack Cornfield. He said, investigation of the Dharma means not settling for second-hand knowledge, right? It means, in my interpretation, not just believing what somebody says, not, not settling for second-hand knowledge. I must see for myself what is true, he says. Over years of meditation, this is a quality that keeps practice alive. We learn to observe and examine every realm and state that arises. 
we may face a vision of our death in sitting or powerful attachment and fear in relationship to investigate those conditions and discover the laws by which they operate. That is our task. The discernment into the true nature of mind and heart and body is not intellectual. Maturity and practice will have us investigating our attachments and ideals, our understandings and our freedom in relationship, family, work, in all the domains of our life. And my understanding really of what Jack's pointing at is this is, this is a living practice. It's a 24-7 practice. It's practice here on the cushion. It's practice out of here, not on the cushion. It's practice in every domain of our life. And it's a beautiful practice to share with every domain and everyone in our life. By share, I don't mean we tell them about it. I mean we live it with them. There's an old story that used to be told in, in Western Buddhism about somebody who, who came to a long retreat and went home and um, uh, later they were telling some of the teachers, they said, oh yeah, I went home and I, I tried to convince everybody how they should be a Buddhist and study and do these retreats and how great the retreats were. And my whole family just didn't want to hear any of that stuff. And, and uh, later she said, she said, but when I, instead of trying to sell them Buddhism, I just became more like a Buddha. And then they just loved it totally, right? So not trying to promote Buddhism, be a Buddha and see what happens because people appreciate your kindness, clarity, wisdom, understanding. And while you're here, keep being curious about what's happening now because it keeps leading us, this curiosity will lead us on to the next factor in the seven factors of awakening that has to do with joy and interest and delight. Um, this is again from Hamid Ali, he said, curiosity is a certain attitude that we're capable of, of at any time and curiosity opens to joy. Joy is curious, joy is curiosity. As you love the truth or as the truth loves the activity you are engaged in, truth shines. That shining of the truth is the joy you are being the truth, investigating the truth, loving the truth, and your joy is joy in the truth. Of course, we can switch truth to Dharma. And then the last piece I'll say. No, I think that is the last, I think it's enough. Um, there's always more. More. I was going to add a little bit more about joy because it's the next factor that's coming, right? It's often called rapture or joy or interest. <clears throat> and it comes with a lightheartedness that is really lovely, that we let ourselves relax and investigate. And the investigation opens us the curiosity opens us to the joy, which then starts to lead us on from there. So the investigative quality, what's happening now? What's here right now? Whatever it is, and then what actually is it? 
What is a feeling? What is a thought, really? What is consciousness? What is awareness? It's a magical reality. Let's sit for a minute before we end. Thank you for your kind attention. a period of walking meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.